What an absolutely gorgeous day to be together. Amen. So, so glad that you're here. I know we have lots of guests here with us today. And thank you for being here. Loved our service so far. Thank you, Ross, for such a significant words around the Lord's table. I love that Kevin Bacon story. Dad, what have you done? And uh, this morning we rejoice because Jesus has done everything. And uh, not only that, he's resurrected from the dead. And he's, he's provided us great power through that resurrection. This morning we're in the middle of a study of the book of Acts, so if you have your Bible, go ahead and go to Acts chapter 6, where we'll begin studying in just a moment, Acts chapter 6, as we look at some great stories from the book of Acts. Again, so thankful, thankful that you're here. We've been praying a prayer from Acts chapter 4 that we call a revolutionary prayer. You can see it up here on the screens. And it comes in the midst of the church's persecution. And they pray together this prayer that we've been praying all week long. Sovereign Lord, consider the threats in my life and enable me, your servant, to speak your word with great boldness. And you see, God answered that prayer in that first century church. And they were so amazingly bold. And the gospel is exploding on the scene. Martin Luther King Jr. referred to that years ago. In his prophetic words, in letter from a Birmingham jail, there was a time when the church was very powerful, in the time when the early Christians rejoiced at being deemed worthy to suffer for what they believed. In those days, the church was not merely a thermometer that recorded the ideas and principles of popular opinion. It was a thermostat that transformed the mores of society. Whenever the early Christians entered a town, the people in power became disturbed and immediately sought to convict the Christians for being disturbers of the peace and quote-unquote outside agitators. But the Christians pressed on. Things are different now. So often the contemporary church is a weak, ineffectual voice with an uncertain sound. So often the church is the arch defender of the status quo. Far from being disturbed by the presence of the church, the power structure of the average community is consoled by the church's silent and often even vocal sanction of things as they are. Those are strong words. There's one word to describe when a man speaks like that. He is a prophet. And today we're going to be talking about being a prophet. And we're going to meet a great prophet in Scripture. We only meet him in two chapters in all the Bible, but wow, what an impression he makes. We're going to meet Stephen. Our outline's pretty simple this, this morning. We're going to meet Stephen, we're going to see Stephen in action, and then we're going to challenge, be challenged to be Stephen. Well, let's, let's meet Stephen, first of all, there in Acts chapter 6. Like I mentioned, the church has boomed, and when the church booms... There begins to be all kinds of organizational problems. They become a big church overnight. And there's some people that are being overlooked in the, the daily feeding of people of food. There were a lot of poor people. And one group was being overlooked, which were some, some Greek Jews who'd come to Jerusalem. And so the apostles decided that they needed to devote themselves to prayer and the word. And so they appointed some servants. Some might even say some deacons. Basically, they appointed some waiters. To make sure the tables were waited on. And Stephen was one of those guys. 
And in the midst of this appointment, we find out about Stephen's character. Look at this up here. The Bible says he's full of some things. Now, when we use the word that somebody's full of something, we normally don't mean that as a compliment, do we? But the Bible means it is an incredible compliment. Just look at the things that Stephen was full of. He was full of faith. He's full of the Holy Spirit, full of grace, and full of power. I would take that description, wouldn't you? Now then watch. Look at his roles. What, what, what incredible roles. He is a waiter, and he is a prophet. Now what is a prophet? We, we sort of freak out when we hear this word prophet because I think we've got a bad image of a prophet. A prophet is simply a truth teller. Uh, literally, the prophet is someone who announces the word of someone in authority. He's a truth teller. When we think of the word prophet, we normally think of someone predicting future hundreds of years in advance. And that was one role of some biblical prophets. But overall, the idea of prophet is someone who simply just speaks the truth from God, who has a word from you from God. And that's exactly what Stephen is in the passage that we're going to look at today. Now, Stephen already in Acts 6 begins to shake things up because he's talking about the resurrection. And he's talking about the Holy Spirit. And there's opposition that arises. And they try to argue with Stephen. But Stephen is so quick on his feet. The Bible says this. They could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave Stephen. And so here's what they did. They do exactly what you do in a political campaign today. You start making things up. And so they started making things up about Stephen. They said that Stephen was anti-Moses. Well, that was a bad thing in Jewish circles. Stephen is anti the temple. That's a bad thing in Jewish circles. And so they make these things up about him. And Stephen's got to respond. And so I want us to watch Stephen. Here's the first picture we see in this response. Acts 6.15. All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin, they brought him before them, looked intently at Stephen, and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Now, what do you think when you think of the face of an angel? I think of some sweet-looking face. But if you really read the Bible closely... Very few times when an angel shows up are people happy about it. I mean, look, look at the two contrasting pictures you'll see up here of, of angels. I, I think we sort of buy into the left side. Oh, a sweet little angel, you know. We, we give angels out. We collect angels. But more time than not, an, an angel was a warrior angel. More time than not, when an angel showed up, you scattered. And in context of what, what Stephen's doing here, I believe Stephen... They're not saying, oh, we saw this sweet-looking cherubim face of Stephen. They're saying, oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. What is he about to say? We are seeing the face of a warrior, warrior angel. So look with me in chapter 7. In chapter 7, if you have your Bible, you will see that the high priest asked Stephen if these charges are true. Now, this goes back to last week's sermon. When an opportunity pops up, Stephen speaks up. And boy, does he speak. He methodically goes on a long rendition of all of Israel's history. Now, if you want to sum up the story of the Old Testament, go to Acts chapter 7. He goes from the story of Abraham to the story of Joseph 
the story of them being sold into slavery, to the story of Moses, the deliverer. He goes from there and he begins to talk about what Moses did. He talks about their ancestors. He talks about Joshua. He talks about David. He talks about Solomon. I mean, it's quite a story here. And you may take the time later to read that. And in that panoramic view of God's people's story, Stephen is making a point. He's making a point that God has been active, not just in Jewish people, but in people across the world. And one of the charges they seek to bring against Stephen is the same charge they tried to seek against Jesus. Is that Jesus was anti-temple because Jesus said he would tear the temple down and build it back. He's talking about his body. And and so they they had misinterpreted that. And so, so one thing Stephen's dealing with here in all these stories is... God appears to Abraham way outside of the temple. God appears to Moses in a burning bush. Well, what you're trying to say is, guys, the temple is a really awesome deal. But if you think that's the only place God shows up, you're wrong. And so he spends a, a lot of time just methodically going through their own history. And then we see Stephen lower the boom. Look with me on the screens, Acts 7, verse 51. Listen to what he says at the end of this sermon. You stiff-necked people, your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Is that a good way to um, win people and influence? You know, what's, what's the old title? Thank you, Stephanie. Win friends and influence people. I can't even say that right. Is that a good way to do that? Absolutely not. I mean, you start calling people stiff-necked, uncircumcised. You resist the Holy Spirit. I mean, listen to this line, verse 52. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. You have received the law that was given to angels, but you have not obeyed it. It's a scathing rebuke. He says to these people, guys, you are playing the wrong part. You're on the wrong side of history. And you're just like your daddies and your granddaddies. You're doing the exact thing that they did. You're rejecting the word of God. You're rejecting the prophets of God. You ever wonder... If you had been in certain places in history, would you be on the right side of history? We read earlier from that letter from Martin Luther King Jr., letters from a Birmingham jail. Part of his plea from that Birmingham jail was would Christians come to the aid of the civil rights movement? And in specific, his challenge was, where are the white preachers? They are silent. And I look at myself and I think, if I had been alive and a preacher at that point, would I have been on the right side of history? Or would I at best remain silent? It's convicting. You see, the work of a prophet is to shake things up. Look at this little video clip if you want to know what a prophet does.
prophet is in the demolition work. When you talk about a prophet, he's somebody who comes in and says, the existing structure is not right. We are going to turn this on his head. And that's what Stephen's doing here. It is not popular to be a prophet. And listen to me. The people in Acts 7, they don't miss what Stephen's doing. They get it. Look with me in 7. Go to verse 50, 54 and watch their response. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. And Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. That's an amazing scene. In the midst of Stephen about to be stoned, he looks up and what does he see? He sees God. He sees Jesus. And Jesus is not sitting as he normally is at the right hand of God. In concern and love, Jesus is standing and peering in at what is going on with Stephen. Here's what Stephen believes. If Stephen can receive the smile of God, he is okay receiving the condemnation of man. And so he sees God. And look look at the response of the religious leaders, verse 37. At this, they covered their ears. How mature. And yelled at the top of their voices. They all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city, and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. When they were stoning him, Stephen prayed. This is amazing. Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. And Saul approved of their killing. What a scene. In the midst of his own stoning, he cries out to God for the forgiveness of those who are killing him. How amazing. And the Bible describes his death in the sweetest terms. It's the terms the Bible refers to death more times than not. He just fell asleep. Oh, you got to love this story. As we watch Stephen, this prophet, what do we learn? Write down some things for me this morning. What do you learn? First of all, he is wise. I mean, Stephen brings this prophecy before he ever speaks these, these words of condemnation. He finds common ground. He walks them through their own history. Next, he's knowledgeable. Stephen knows the Bible. He knows the Old Testament. He knows the stories in detail. Sometimes we get afraid when someone says, I've got the gift of prophecy, or I'm a prophet, because we believe that means that they're going to they're contradict the Scripture. My friends, anybody who's a true prophet is not going to contradict Scripture. Because if, if you hear someone claim to have some kind of gift, and they say something that's opposed to the Bible... If someone says, you know, you know, I know what the Bible says, but God has spoken to me that it's okay for me to leave my wife. It's okay for me to leave. You know, I know what the Bible said, but but I know God's okay with us sleeping together before we get married. You need to go. No, 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 no. God didn't say that. We got that in black and white. This is a false prophet. And you see, 
In this story, Stephen, he knows the Word of God. And when we speak truth to people, it always needs to be based on the Word of God. But also mark down this, he is bold. He speaks the uncomfortable truth. We've seen so far in our study of the book of Acts that there is a tie between being full of the Holy Spirit and being full of boldness. That's why it's so important we keep praying this prayer that God would give us boldness, enable us to be bold because we can't be this way on our own. How in the world? And then you see here, Stephen, he's Christ-like. In the midst of the scathing rebuke, in the midst of this demolition work, He's Christ-like. Where did he learn to say, Lord, do not hold this charge against them? He learned it from Jesus. I was watching a story the other night on the CBS Evening News. It was about an African-American who had um, been wrongly accused of drug, drug possession. And you think of all the tension in our country today. So it, was, it was one of those stories that started off so often. Awful it was an African-American man who had been planted with drugs by a white policeman. It's just a story we see over and over again. An African-American man ended up going to prison for about two years. Finally, the white policeman confessed it. And then he went to prison. But here's the cool part of the story. After they went to prison, they ended up in the small town in Michigan working at the same Christian coffee shop. And there they were both led to the Lord. And the beauty of the story was the white cop confessing and asking forgiveness from the African-American man he had framed. And not only did the African-American man forgave him, But the end of the story, these two guys are now great friends. We need those kind of stories. Amen? Now, now listen to me. Where do people learn to behave that way? Nowhere but Jesus. That's where Stephen learned it. That's where those folks learned. That's where, where we learn to practice forgiveness at times that makes no sense. So he was wise and he was knowledgeable and he was bold and he was Christ-like. But let's don't forget this. He was martyred. Most prophets are not popular in their day. They may get popular later, but they're not popular in their day. In fact, Stephen becomes the first Christian martyr. There's a price to be paid to speaking truth. After Martin Luther King spoke his famous speech, what an amazing speech, I have a dream. On the mall at Washington, he was blacklisted by the FBI as the most dangerous man in America, labeled as a communist, and we know he was murdered. But how ironic, today we celebrate a national holiday in his honor. Because this brings us our last point. A prophet is impactful. He is so impactful. When a prophet speaks, his words make a difference. 
with King, everything he went through, from the beating on that bridge a few miles from here in Selma to his own death, it woke up the conscience of a nation, a nation that at best had been asleep and had been okay with discrimination, woke up and said, this doesn't need to continue. And that's the impact of a prophet. When we see the life of Stephen here, and we see, I hope you notice as we read through the passage, we notice a guy there that that surprises us that he's there. It's the first time we see him in Scripture. It's Saul of Tarsus, who will later become the amazingly powerful Apostle Paul. I like what St. Augustine said, the church owes Paul the Apostle to the prayer of Stephen. William Barclay writes, No matter how hard Saul tried, he could never get away from the prayer that Stephen prayed and the death that Stephen died. It was the blood of the martyrs that empowered the seed of the church. It was Stephen and the way he was and how Christ-like he was and how gracious and yet powerful he was that planted a seed And Saul of Tarsus and said, you know what, maybe, just maybe, there is something to this Jesus guy. People don't normally behave this way. So he's impactful. So here's our challenge, my friends. Our challenge is to be Stephen. You know what we need today? We need some modern day people who speak plainly. Who speak as prophets. Look in Acts chapter 2, back to where we first started a few weeks ago. Listen to what the prophet Joel had prophesied. In the last days, that's the days that you and I live in, God says, I will pour my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see vision. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. What's he saying? He's saying this idea of being a truth speaker, of saying the right word at the right time that convicts people is something not just for a few people, it's for all of us. You see, I love the picture here that Stephen was a waiter prophet. What a combination. A servant, prophet. A waiter, prophet. I wonder today what kind of prophet you could be. Go back to that slide. Leave the blank up there. What kind of prophet could you be? An accountant prophet? A teacher prophet? An engineer prophet? A coach prophet? A stay-at-home mom prophet? A nurse prophet? You see, could you be that person who, wherever you are, When empowered by God and led by the Spirit, based on the Word of God, you speak truth even when it's uncomfortable. There's a great story I read this week back to the civil rights movement of a young lady. Well, actually, she was an older lady. She was a third grade Sunday school teacher at a church in Atlanta, Georgia. Her name was Flora Miller. And it was during the, the, the time of, of integration and, and the white churches were afraid 
that black people were going to come to their churches. So every church had decisions to be made. And the elders of this church met, and they're trying to decide what happens because people were just showing up at doors just to, to prove a point. And the elders of the church met, and, and they, they decided what they were going to do because it was going to happen. And they made an announcement, a rather coy announcement. They say, if black people come to our church, they are welcomed as long as space provides. And the elder repeated that about six times in his statement. They can come as long as space provides. As long as space provides. As long as the, 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 the hint was obvious. There will not be space. We will tell them there is no space until this older woman stood up in the middle uncomfortably in that assembly. This older third grade teacher said, if they show up, they can have my space. My friends, those are the kind of prophets we need. We need people like the teenager from this church who a few years ago played football in a local Christian school and the language was awful. He stood up and said, are we a Christian school or not a Christian school? We need elders like Dick Thompson who stood up before this church years ago and says, guys, for now on, here's the way we're going to make decisions around here. We will not make decisions simply to please you. We will make decisions to please God. We need adults like Bobby Reeves and Don Gillum and Al Crosby and Zane Kirk, and I could name a bunch more who are involved with our teenage who are speaking words of life into them. We need the Brian Pauks who came forward a few weeks ago in service to say, you know what? I'm done with drinking. Oh, he had been forgiven by God. He had made it right with the people around him, but he wanted to say it in front of the church because it wasn't just a message for him and for God. It was a message for other people. I will not drink any alcohol. And Brian Pauk has been alcohol free for over a hundred days. We need some fathers in their homes to stand up and say, as for me in my house, we will serve the Lord. We're not going to put everything else before God. We need single mothers with despite the fact that it's uncomfortable to come to church by yourself saying, my children are more important than me being comfortable. We need the people like one of our shepherds in Birmingham, West Self, who says, you know what? We need to start a church that reaches people because I've given 10 years of my life away. We need that kind of boldness. I love a story that our, our missions minister, A.C. Johnson, told when he was a teenager of a woman that played the role of a prophet in his life. Andy, as you know, was a bright student. He had learned Spanish. He was, he was claiming to be a Christian. Actually wore to, to school a cross around his neck. But when he learned Spanish, he learned that he could say some words in Spanish and get by with it he couldn't in English. Can you imagine Andy doing that? And Andy started under his breath in Spanish saying some mean and sort of evil things. And he was saying these things. And one day he set him in front of this teacher and she came up to him and she said to him, 
I would suggest you take that cross and put it on the inside of your shirt, lest people get the wrong idea of who you are. And you know one of the first people Andy wanted to see when he got back from Burkina Faso? He wanted to go back to his hometown and visit the high school teacher who had the courage to speak truth in his life. My friends, what we need in this church more than anything else are people that will speak truth to one another. You know when things begin to change in an organization? Let me just be honest with you here. It's not when the preacher gets up and says it. I can say whatever I want to, and you can sort of discount that. It's not even when the elders make some big pronouncement. You know when things begin to change? is when you begin to speak to each other. When you begin to say to each other, in love, but in boldness, you know what? The priorities in your family's life are wrong. Could I help you with that? This addiction has gotten out of control. Let's, let's go to RSVP one night together. You know, your children are out of control. And I've been there too with my children. Could, could, could we work on this together? You know, this, this life group is, is actually sort of lame that we're meeting in. We're just sort of goofing off and playing games. Why don't we do something that could be life-changing? We need those kind of prophets in this church who speak up and who speak truth. And when it's really going to happen, it's going to happen best when it happens among the church. Peer to peer. I I don't want to call it peer pressure. I want to call it peer prophets. That we begin to love each other enough. Listen to me. Did Stephen love these people? I think he did. Did Jesus love the same group of people that he scathed? I believe he did. Well, then why did he use dynamite? Because their hearts were so hard. They had drifted so far. The only way to get through them was to, was to do something that shocking. And some of us are so steep in our sin and so steep in our lukewarmness. We are so far from being a part of the revolution that somebody needs to light some dynamite under us. Not out of meanness or hatred, but out of the very heart that would say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Lord, don't lay this charge against them. You see, revolutions are led by prophets who speak uncomfortable truth. Why would you want to be a prophet? Why would you want to live this way? Because it's not always easy. Because people don't always like what you say. And we live in such a polite culture that people will quickly get upset. Such a politically correct culture that you just can't quite say what needs to be said. At least we think. Why would you want to be a prophet? Because here's what happens in the middle of this. Stephen sees God. And if you'll watch these prophets, whether it's Elijah or Jeremiah or Isaiah, something in common through Scripture about people who speak bold truth is that they are blessed with the opportunity to see God. And for Stephen, that was well worth this life ending shortly and him going straight to heaven. So I want to ask you today, does your life need to be shook up? Can this message today 
maybe be a word of prophecy to you, a word of absolute truth telling about your life? Is there someone you need to speak to and speak that kind of truth? Do you need the prayers of the church today that your life get back on track or that God give you the boldness to stand up at your school, stand up at your work, stand up in your family, stand up in this church and speak truth? Here's the cool deal. You will see God. And that will be worth whatever price you and I have to pay. If you need to come, why don't you come right now while we stand together and sing.